This episode is brought to you by the Nordstick, the number one way to train your hamstrings anywhere at any time. The number one injury burden in the game of soccer is, you guessed it, hamstring injury. What better way to prevent this than using the Nordstick? From endless Nordic curl variations for your hamstrings, to other lower body exercises, to even upper body and core exercises, you name your goal and the Nordstick can help you get there. Use the link in the description to learn more and get 10% off. Once again, use the link in this episode's description for 10% off. What is up, soccer players? Welcome to another episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It is me, your host, Andy, uh, with my former roommate, who is a guest on the podcast today, Dr. Tyler Sinda. Welcome to the Soccer Fitness Experience. How are you? Pretty good. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Um, I, I'm really excited for this episode today. So, um, Tyler, you you own a business down in Scottsdale, Arizona. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Started about a year and a half ago, and uh, I've been building it ever since. Mm. So let, let's hear your elevator pitch. Like, who are you? What do you do? And who do you help? Yeah, so I uh, have a cash base uh, PT clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, seeing a lot of golfers in the area, a lot of active adults in the area. Um, I treat mostly uh, active adults, golfers, hikers, and getting into more of the athletic population. Um, seeing clients and patients one-on-one for an hour. Um, within that hour, we're going over a lot of education, a lot of progressions, and basically the main goal that I'm trying to do is make sure that they don't have to depend on me or rely on me for them to progress their health and to live their active lifestyle. I love that. I love that. And um, on the soccer fitness experience, obviously, we're geared towards soccer. So we're going to do a little half and half, a little yin and yang of what we can learn from the golf performance world. So um, we're going through a a little rundown, a little ranking, your top three of what soccer can learn from golf fitness, golf training, golf rehab, whatever you want. Let's start with your number three. We'll go backwards. What do you got? My number three, um, and I had to think long and hard about this because there are two completely different sports. but my number three is uh, the mental strength that it that you have to have on a, a day in day out. Um, I mean, sports in general, you, you got to have a lot of mental strength. Uh, showing up to practice, uh, showing up to, um, games, mentally preparing for the games and uh, for these practices. So I would say number three is uh, mental strength. Mm. Now, in soccer. I, I try to think of moments in the game where the the mental and psychological portion of our game um, is the most important factor. And the first place that I go to is penalty kicks. Um, and I, I think of, you know, you take your ball, you put it onto one spot that's particularly marked, and your job as the athlete is to put it with precision into one portion of the goal, which in a soccer, you know, in a soccer season, let's say that might happen, if you're lucky, 10 to 15 times. Now, in golf, that happens 
with every what is it a tee every putt every how do you how do you like when you swing the club like what is that called like a tee off or what's good with that i mean every shot is every shot every single shot you got to figure out how you want to play that hole you got to figure out you know what the lie is you got to figure out what club you want to use you got to figure out um how the ball is lying yeah environments so the wind um how the course is set up you got a bunch of stuff that you have to figure out before you take uh, a swing at the golf club or at the uh, golf ball that isn't moving by the way but it's extremely difficult to to get it close to the hole um, with all those factors that's why you see people take so long in between shots especially on tv like i'm watching the players right now and this guy uh, walked up to the ball walked around to the side of the green to figure out how the green was uh, was being played, how if there was any breaks uh, from right to left, and the lie that he had too. And then he's talking with this caddy, how they're going to approach that shot, and then he steps up to the ball. Some people will take a step off. Maybe they have to second-guess some things, step back up to the ball, and then have a rock-solid uh, swing on the ball and hope that it gets close to the pin. Now – do you think the biggest golfers still get nervous when it comes to those two to three shots that are the difference between, you know, qualifying to the next day or even winning a title? Um, do they get nervous for those those big time shots, do you think? Oh, I think 100%. I was just talking to someone uh, last week about this. I think it's actually harder for the people who are coming up that haven't got their PGA card yet and have to grind out tournaments and when they're not making money and they have to grind out practicing they got to grind out competing because only a couple people get cards every single year so i think it's even more pressure on those guys who are coming up than the guys who are already on tour they've already won a couple tournaments they know what it's like to be there they don't have to worry about their card getting taken away because they've already won this year so for sure, everyone feels pressure on the tour, but I think those guys who are coming up and haven't established themselves feel quite a bit more pressure than those who have already won a couple times on the tour. Mm, for sure. You know, that, that's a great point of if you're at that level, you've gone through so much of that on a daily basis where um, if you can't do it, then kind of sucks, but you're not going to make it there. Um Point number two, what, what's the next thing that, that the soccer world can learn from golf? Um, I'd say patience. Uh, patience with, um, you know, the process, uh, especially those people who are in the academy who haven't made the, the pros yet and who have aspirations and dreams of getting to that level. You just got to have patience. You got to trust your process and you got to, uh, tweak some things along the way. You got to have, I think, outcomes and different guides and systems that you can fall back on um, to make sure that your process is a rock solid one. And then, if it is rock solid and it and you are growing from that, then just being patient because eventually, you know, it's going to happen. You just got to keep working at it. I I actually love that, and especially in the academy world. Um, there, there's always, an, and just like golf, I'm sure it's the same of whatever level I'm at, I want to be at the next one. If I'm on this tour, I want to be on that tour. If I'm playing U13, I want to play U14. If I'm playing reserve team, I want to play on first team. And 
that that passion is is important because it's going to drive you daily to to be better and make that jump. Um, but sometimes you just gotta chill and you know take life as it comes and accept where you are and why you're there and what you can improve before you move on to the next level. Because it's not always about moving as quickly as possible, but also about making sure that when you do get there, you have the proper tools and you have the, the right preparation to excel there, which is which is harder to really sit back and appreciate. Yeah, and finally, uh, number one, what's what's the biggest tip that the soccer world can pull from golf? Um, I mean, I think soccer players already do this, but, you know, taking care of your body. Um, I think there's been a huge push over this last decade with all sports that athletes are understanding the importance of taking care of their bodies, not only from a, a physical standpoint, but, you know, mentally they're taking care of their nutrition they're taking care of their stress. They're taking care of, you know, their sleeping habits. All of those things play a factor in the development of the athlete and playing uh, for as long as possible. Um, one thing that I see with golfers is um, golfers have started to do a lot of like strength training, which I think hasn't been the most common um thought process as far as a golfer like when you see a, a golfer you're like oh a person probably doesn't deadlift but john rom is a perfect example of someone who's on tour right now who's absolutely having a top-notch year he's world number one right now he'll probably drop to number two after this week because scotty scheffler looks like he's gonna wrap up the players um but you know even scotty scheffler you'll see uh, on that documentary uh that just dropped on netflix full swing um he's working out too so um Strength training is something that uh, has been new in, in the golf world, but the main takeaway is that these golfers are understanding the importance of taking care of their bodies, um, and they're adding a little bit more training, uh, physical training, uh, to their regimen in addition to getting their swings in day in and day out. So um, not necessarily something that soccer players can learn from golf, just understanding that the importance of taking care of one's body and uh, playing for as long as you can and you, you need to take care of a um, combination of things. Yeah, for sure. Now, one of the things that's different about golf compared to soccer is um, soccer, obviously a team sport, 11 players on the field, 23 on a squad. Um, golf, you obviously have a support system, but it is an individual sport. Um, I mean, you've been in both environments, like you've been a wrestler, you played other sports, and you've also been active in the golf sphere. What's different about taking care of your body as somebody playing in an individual sport compared to a team sport? And how do we add that into the, the team sport environment? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I would say the the biggest one of the biggest things as far as like taking care of your body um is that it's probably a little bit more underneath the microscope individually versus team wise you can't really hide behind a team um if you haven't been taking care of yourself um the one thing that i noticed with wrestling is you know if i didn't do the work that was going to show that weekend on the mat mm. and i wouldn't have been able 
to hide behind the team. It's all on me. You know, I can't blame anyone else because I'm the one that went out there and I'm the one that lost. And, you know, it's embarrassing. So it's like, well, I don't like that feeling. That sucks. Let's do something about it. Whereas, you know, with the team sport, you know, if you have a bad game, it might not cost you the, the victory. But I think as far as, you know, team sports go, just making sure that each athlete has accountability and isn't relying on other people to bail them out. And I think if you get, there's what, 11 guys on the field at one time for soccer, if you get 11 guys that are each accountable and know what their role is in the team and can hold themselves accountable and then hold their teammates accountable, I think that makes one rock solid team um, where everyone's kind of pulling their own weight. That's what's up. Now, real quick, before we go to our commercial break, can you run through your top three again real quick? Top three. So what do we have? We had, I wrote them down here, the mental strength. We had patience. And we had taking care of your body. I I love that. Um, Let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have a few more tips that Tyler would like to share that didn't make his top three. We'll call them honorable mentions. And we'll also talk about some other things. We'll talk about his experience in fellowship, as well as overall his life as an entrepreneur. So we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Team Builder. If you're a physical therapist, fitness coach, or personal trainer, you need to know that Team Builder is the number one app for exercise prescription. Whether you're working with a few clients one-on-one as a side hustle or you're working with hundreds of athletes in an academy setting, there's no better app to prescribe exercises for remote or in-person training than Team Builder. As someone who's used Team Builder for over two years, I can wholeheartedly say it saves me time and helps my clients perform at their best. As a bonus, Team Builder is offering a 12-week soccer strength and conditioning program that comes with your 14-day free trial. This program focuses on increasing strength, power, and speed, all while reducing risk of injury. Head over to teambuilder.com and sign up with the code SFE to get started. Vitruve is a reliable, affordable, and easy-to-use velocity-based training system that allows sports medicine staff to monitor and evaluate an athlete's performance in the gym. There are so many scientific papers supporting velocity-based training, showing how athletes can get stronger, more powerful, and reduce their injury risk. Most of all, it's one of the best ways to maximize athlete intent during a fitness or rehab session. Check out the link in the description to learn more about Vitruve today. All right, we are back on the soccer fitness experience. Um, Ty, a few more tips, if if you may, um, that soccer players can learn from the golf world before we jump into um, your life as an entrepreneur as well as your fellowship experience. Um, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but precision. Mm. So these got these athletes, these golfers have to be extremely precise with their shots. I mean, I'm watching someone tee off on 17 at TPC Sawgrass right now. The whole hole is covered by water. I mean, for you to hit a ball, what is it, 180 yards onto a green that is surrounded by water, there's very, very little room for error. 
and you have to be extremely precise with each shot. And I think where that comes in with soccer is what you said earlier with PKs. So you got to be extremely precise. You know, you got a goalie in front of you. And if you're not precise, you're either going to miss a goal or have it blocked. And your sport is a cruel one where, again, you, you can't hide behind anybody. If if you miss, you miss. Everybody sees. And you know what? They can even track your ball as it flies through the air. Um, what other tips do you have, if any? Um, I'd say uh, adaptability. Just, hmm. you know, knowing that not everything. You might have a, a vision of how something's going to play out, but the likelihood of things actually happening the way that you think they're going to happen is extremely rare. And just understanding that if there is a little bit of adversity that's thrown to you, whether you hit the ball in the water in the bunker, you have to have a good recovery shot that you can make that shot, make that next shot. Um, I had one guy tell me one time on the course, he's like, you know, I'm not going to hit every shot just the way that I want it but I know that if I do have a a bad shot that's fine because my next shot is going to be good it's just that mindset of overcoming some adversity and and knowing and trusting the work that you've put in uh day in and day out is going to show up gotcha I love that I love that um let's shift gears let's talk about some other aspects um of your career thus far um, let's start with your your fellowship experience. Um, why did you go and decide to do one? Who'd you do it with? What was your journey like? Let's start from the the beginning, if we can. Yeah. So when I got out of school, um, I think PT school. I mean, their main focus is to make you like a generalist, make you know a lot about uh, a little about a lot of different areas. Uh, in the PT world, uh, it's designed to help you, you know, pass boards. So when I got out of school, you know, we had a couple of electives um, that was more treatment focused and, and focused on what you could do once you understood what was going on. But I think the main thing with PT school was like, okay, figure out what's going on first, uh, screen them for red flags, make sure that there's nothing super significant going on here where you have to refer out right away. Uh, and then two is like, do no harm. So then when I got out of school, I knew that I wanted to go into outpatient, but I didn't have all the tools uh, that I have in my tool belt now uh, to help these people. And I wanted to learn as fast and as quickly as I could. So when I got down to Arizona at my first position, uh, my boss was a certified in dry needling and spinal manipulation and I had taken a course, or he had recommended me taking the course. So I took a dry needling course. And the first class was with um, Dr. Uh, Raymond Butts. And he flew into that room and was super passionate about PT and about helping people. And that's really kind of what sold me on the whole AAMT, um, which is their their company uh, who had the fellowship. Uh, I was talking to him after class and uh, he kind of reviewed what they, they go over in the fellowship. I thought it would have been a great learning experience. Uh, I knew I wanted to take dry needling class two through them. I had taken dry needling one 
uh, dry needling two uh, was a great course. And then I started to look online and I was like, well, all these classes really seem interesting and something that I'm eventually going to learn. And rather than, you know, paying for each individual class, why don't I just go into the fellowship because all of those classes are part of the fellowship too. So talked to him, uh, applied for the fellowship, uh, got in and then went through uh, a year long uh, intensive program and really glad I did it. I learned a ton, met some really, really cool providers um, that I still talk to uh, today. And it was a great learning experience. It changed my, my practice and it shifted my mindset with PT uh, right off the bat, which was pretty cool. That's what's up. That's what's up. And I, I think one thing that's different about AAMT is um, the the level of focus that's placed on research is I want to say absurdly high, but absurd is a little bit of a negative word. We, we'll say it's very, very, very high um, to the point where there is not a single person on earth who could say they're, they're not research based because they, they are. Um, what's it like kind of going through all that literature and then going through the coursework and then applying it? Do you feel like you're able to truly apply everything that you absorb or how, how does that work for you? I mean, it's an intense program. There's so much to go through. I mean, when I was in these classes, I'm just trying to write down everything in these. Uh, so they give us books that have course outlines. And I'm just trying to write down as much as I can because you can learn a lot from the course, but you can also learn a lot from each person that's teaching the course too. I mean, they all have their clinical reasoning. And I, I, I find it's extremely important to get as many perspectives as possible. So if I take a dry needling one course with someone or a dry needling two uh, course with someone and I take it with someone else, you know, I'm going to learn something different that I didn't that first time around, even though they're same, the same exact course, but there's different people that are inputting their clinical reasoning. And I find it um, important to figure out what their clinical reasoning on is, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And then I can filter through my clinical reasoning and take whatever I want from those different classes. Um, it is a lot of information. So going back and reviewing the books and the coursework constantly is something that I'm always doing. Um, Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, we had talked about this and this is something that I can apply. Or if I have a, a case where I'm struggling with, I'm like, Hey, how, how can I, you know, get the lowest hanging fruit and make the biggest difference for this person right now? I have a bunch of different mentors that I can call and talk to cases and uh, figure out what the lowest hanging fruit would be um, to get the ball rolling on getting this person back to their active lifestyle. I love that. I love that. And I, I love the approach that you just have in general when it comes to Con Ed of learning the material in the course, but also learning from the instructor there too. Because um, unless the instructor was the founder of the course, which in your case, you, you had that a, a good bit, um, they they have some thoughts and opinions on it. And They've taught the course many times and they have a lot of thoughts and opinion on it. And if you can manage to pull some of that, that's that's of extreme value because you're pulling from somebody who has so much experience learning and teaching it over and over and over again. 
um, chances are there's a lot that you can pick up from that. Yeah, hundred percent. So those conversations that, and if you're a PT and you're, you're hearing this or you're listening to this, I think it's really important when you are practicing, you get a little bit of a break to practice the skills um, to go over to the person that is instructing the course and pick their brain about, you know, why we're doing this. When would you implement this? Um, what has been your experience using this protocol? Um, what, where would you go from here? What are your progressions? Where, what would you expect this person to be after, you know, visit one, visit three, et cetera. I love that. And, um, that experience for you, it, it ultimately helped to, or we'll ask this as a question, did that experience help and empower you to start your own practice? A hundred percent. Yeah. If I didn't go through that fellowship, I wouldn't have started my own, my own practice. Um, that gave me, so grad school and Duke gave me the confidence to understand what's going on and make sure that there was no red flags and, uh, really gave a really, really, really good base for learning. Uh, and then in addition to that was clinical reasoning or uh, clinical, uh, rotations. I learned a ton through that. So that added to my base and then the fellowship even added further to the base, uh, to the point where I, I felt like I had a really good foundation. I had a really good network of mentors where if I didn't know what was going on, that I could find the answer. Mm. And it gave me the confidence to know that, you know, I can help people and, you know, I am worth that. And I could help people out more, giving them one-on-one -on -one attention for a full hour. And that was the biggest thing was understanding that, you know, going off on my own, I can treat people uh, for one hour, spend more time with them in sessions, um, and just give them more of an individualized approach to physical therapy than where I was currently at. And let's talk about that journey of you starting your own practice and you actually, you know, getting down and doing a lot of the work that, uh, that that it takes to to really set up a a really good practice um i mean i saw your place and then you you switched uh locations recently although you're you're very uh close in proximity to your old one um what is it like starting a clinic from literally the beginning with with little to no you know um guidance or or a direct game plan um it's a grind uh every day every week is a grind um but it's it's good um because you know it it goes back to that point with like wrestling um you're not hurting anyone but yourself so if you start a business or a practice and you're not putting in the work then it's going to affect you and eventually like when i start to hire people like it's going to affect them too so you know it's affecting me right now and I've learned a lot of lessons from wrestling that I've applied to entrepreneurship and to starting this business. And I think it's been helping me out quite a bit. Um, but I would highly recommend not starting the journey alone. I'm huge mm -hmm. on mentorship. I, I think that people need mentors. You don't know the answers. Like No one knows or has all the answers. And if they do, they're, they're lying. Um, I have a really good network of mentors that I have added and will continue to add. So 
I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers. I have a really, really good network of mentors that I'm very confident in that I could go find answers if I need to. So when I started the business, I had reached out to uh, a friend that had um, a physical therapy um, ad company, marketing company. And through him, I was introduced to uh, one of my mentors uh, who had basically started a cash-based clinic three years prior and had the blueprint um, to where he's at right now. And I just picked his brain and learned as much as I could from him and then started the, the business. So I didn't start it not knowing anything. I had a good idea of where I was going. I had a blueprint. And then as I'm going, you know, just like mentorship with clinical reasoning, I'm picking different business uh, mentors' brains and figuring out what works best for me. Um, so it's been a grind, but it's been it's been really, really rewarding. It's been fulfilling, and I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. I love that. I love that. And um, before we went live on the call, you just mentioned, yeah, I was up till one a.m. working on your space, uh, which looks very nice, by the way. Um, what Thank would you. you say to there? There's definitely some sort of false narratives going on that cash PT equals less time and more money in terms of income for the provider. Um, what would you say to people who may have these these thoughts? Um, I mean, you should probably stop that thought right right off the bat because that's <laughs> it's not. I mean, if it if it's just for you um, and you're you're doing it like on the side or something like. Probably if you're going to be like subcontracting or if you're going to be working for someone else as a cash-based PT, yeah, for sure. You're probably going to make more money and have to see less people throughout the week. If you're going to try to start your own business doing that, then you're going to be putting in way more time and making way less money right off of the bat. So I took a significant pay cut, started the company, and now I'm at the point where I'm making just as much as I did at my old job, but I'm a year and a half into this. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, that I've seen about um, entrepreneurs who are successful, it's um, either one of a few things, either they have significant investment from somebody else, um, whether that be through their savings or a business loan, um, or they do double work, whereas they work full time at one place and they build something else up. Or they have a little bit of all of that, plus they cut back significantly on their lifestyle. Um, what has that process been like for you? Yeah, so it, it started off, um, I was working a side job um, at a skilled nursing facility um, while I was building up the business. And I cut down on my lifestyle. Like I don't rent uh, a single bedroom apartment anymore. I mean, it's now it's going to be eighteen hundred dollars a month, and I'm here. You know, anywhere from like six to eight a.m. is I'll get in the office, and then I won't leave until eight or nine. So my thought was, if I'm going to be here all day, every day, why am I going to pay eighteen hundred dollars for a place that I'm just sleeping in? So I ended up renting a room from somebody. Um, for $800, which saved me a ton of money. And then I cut down on, you know, going out and like eating and traveling to grow the business. So it's been a combination of everything. Uh, 
to this point. I love that. I love that. Um, any last thoughts, any last opinions that you feel like our, our listeners would love to hear from you before we go ahead and, and end this episode? Uh, in which, uh, in which part? Anything. We can go <laughs> part one. We could talk soccer. We could talk golf. We can talk entrepreneurship, fellowship, con ed. Uh, just one piece well, of advice well, that you feel is important. Well, I think this covers all three, um, and that is mentorship. I, you cannot put a price on mentorship. Um, I think people are only as good as the mentors that they have around, and I feel like as far as learning from these mentors, you got to check your ego at the side. I mean, people that get into PT school, you know, are going to be pretty smart. Um but knowing that you don't have the an- all the answers is extremely important. Um, you know, I think it's important to, if you are going to try to shadow from someone or you are trying to learn from a mentor, don't try to impress them by telling them how much you know. Like, you should probably just keep your mouth closed and try to absorb as much information as possible. And that goes, you know, with soccer players and, and golfers too. Like, if you're trying to learn from a swing coach or if you're trying to learn from a soccer player, um, coach who's already been there and done that like just kind of close your mouth and be a sponge and absorb as much as you can from them and then find another swing coach or find another soccer coach and absorb as much as you can from them and then you compile everything together and that's what makes you love that because there's only one you you're one of one so you got to be the best you and other people have helped you up to this point. So you got to be able to just, you know, accept their help and accept their their criticisms, however harsh they may be, um, and, you know, use it to help you move forward. 100%. Yep. Be a sponge. Learn as much as you can from everyone and apply it to you and apply it to your lifestyle, your clinical reasoning, or your game. Love it. Love it. Um, really quick, where can the people find you if they want to reach out to to you and, and you know, have a chat, have a discussion, or even come see you in clinic? Yeah, so my clinic is located uh, three minutes south of TPC Scottsdale. If you don't know where that is, you can search Scottsdale Physical Therapy and Performance on Google. Uh, my website is scottsdalepteperformance.com. Or you can reach me on social media. I am Scottsdale Physical Therapy and Performance on Facebook. And then you can search Scottsdale Physical Therapy and Performance on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Dr. Cinda PT. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks again for coming on and we'll see you all next week.